Welcome to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge, the fiercely nonpartisan discussion that seeks policy solutions to issues of the day. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. And welcome to the Common Bridge. Rich, the election is over, and you talked about uh, uh, Pennsylvania and Georgia being decisive, and you were right. What are your thoughts about how this all went down? Well, first of all, is the election over? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding about that. That uh, I was actually watching CNN yesterday, and they said, "Welcome to day five of election night coverage." I thought, <laughs> if if that doesn't sum it up, I don't know what does. You know, in an earlier episode, we talked that there was going to be a lot of realignment. And I think that played out. We talked about the difficulty of polling, given the number of changes, and that played out. And, you know, at the end, I think we saw America really coming to the middle. You know, in days before the election, Newt Gingrich was saying it was going to be a 324 electoral college vote landslide for Donald Trump. And you had a lot of talk about a blue wave and so forth. And really interesting results that we had a close election. And again, I'm taking out the statistical anomaly of California being what California is. But very, very close and very close in the decisive states. And I I think it's uh, fairly explainable uh, where we're at. And of course, the Democrats lost a handful of seats in the House. The Republicans are down one right now, I believe, in the Senate. With yeah, how, do you, uh, how do you think that plays out? Do you think they keep control of the Senate? Because Alaska, I think, hasn't come in. I, I got to think that's a Republican seat. Yeah, Republic, I, I believe that Alaska will be Republican, but we'll have to wait and see. This is 2020 still. And uh, in Georgia, you know, I don't know that Kelly Loeffler is a real strong candidate. And also, uh, Doug Collins did secure a fairly substantial part of that vote. So I think it could come down to a turnout election. And certainly the uh, Democrats have got a great ground game in Georgia, and particularly in the highly populated counties around Atlanta. So I don't think anything could be taken for granted at this point. I think that Most people that are forecasting this think that at least Purdue is going to keep the seat in Republican hands. That'll be a one-vote majority in the Senate for the Republicans. And I don't even think Joe Biden thinks that's a bad thing. Right. You and I had talked about that before in a previous episode where the American people were ready to get off the Trump train, as you would say, but they weren't necessarily ready to give the keys to the Senate and the House also to the Democratic Party because they just weren't ready to take that extra step. And I think that really speaks to what we've been trying to do here for the past 13 months on the Common Bridge, saying that we need to get better behavior from both political parties and we need to get a better news reporting. And before I leave the news reporting, CNN, who has been terrible over the past four years in terms of hysteria mongering and conspiracy theories and 
what's going to trip up the president next and so forth. I think they did a fairly credible job with the election coverage. I think John King was balanced, was informative in particular. We need more of that. I think the Fox team, I was toggling back and forth. I think they similarly did a good and solid job. I did pick up a few clips, particularly with Kornacki from MSNBC. My personal opinion, so take it for what it's worth, is that there was a sincere effort, at least during the election night, to try to actually report, notwithstanding the typical behavior. We'll see where they you know, turn later this week. I agree. And and let's swing to behavior then. There's been some fear out there, certainly before the end of the election and now in the, in the days that follow, that there would be violence in the streets. Um, juxtapose that to what we saw in 2016. Um, do you see some inconsistencies about the worry or the... Well, yeah, 2016. I mean, the second the election was called, and as you know, in the Common Bridge, I think it was episode 70, that we thought 2020 was going to be a replay of 2016. And it, and it was. And we had a lot of anti-Trump vote come out, just like we had a lot of anti-Clinton vote come out. Though I don't think you're going to see the Republicans lying in the street on the day of the inauguration screaming, no, no, no. There were fires set last time. That was yeah, dangerous. Yeah and, I, yeah, and I don't think you're going to see the, uh, like, oh, a resistance uh, movement, which I thought was absurd that, it, you know, that maybe people will come around and start working the political process. But look, I like to look at things in a 360 degree way. And I see what markets do. And during the election process, it looked at one point that Trump was going to to win, and the Chinese currency, the yuan, crashed. Like we don't want, yeah, that happened during that time. And then later on, I saw that the uh, prices of railroad spikes and pallets of bricks collapsed on eBay. And then <laughs> right. I thought, well, okay, I guess Biden's going to win and we're not going to need those. <laughs> Was but, that Antifa fire sales, what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, well, we're not, we're not going to be needing those anymore. And so both political parties, I think, have opportunity to begin to do the job that they're hired to do. I thought that Biden's talk on Saturday night was really good. I think Kamala Harris did a really strong job. I think they've got some ground to make up with their own supporters and also the people that supported Donald Trump. If there was anything Joe Biden could have added to his speech, he would have asked the uh, Democrats and the left to apologize for their four years of you know calling people names. Turns out 70 million people, you can't call them racists and Neanderthals and bigots and Nazis and then say, oh, we won. Okay, everybody, let's let's play nice mm-hmm. together. I, I think the other thing that uh, Joe Biden could do to demonstrate his confidence that the election was carried out well is just to make a statement that said, I do not want to be your president if I am not elected with a completely legitimate, honest and fair process. And even promising an independent audit of the votes. And look, I followed this, I think, reasonably closely. And while I don't know much about Pennsylvania politics, I can speak with a little bit of knowledge about Michigan. And let me talk about that just a bit. And I am 
reaching out to some people that had front row seats. And as of now, I don't hear anything that causes me concern. But Michigan has a very well-developed absentee voting system. You have to apply to get your ballot. The ballot comes. You have a secrecy envelope, a signature, and you can either carry it back and drop it off at your polling place, or you can send it back by mail. There's a, a way you can validate that your ballot was indeed received. And there's always been some percentage in Michigan that voted that way, but it wasn't necessarily a big part of the electorate. And by Michigan law, those ballots have to remain sealed until after the polls closed. And if memory serves me correctly, and someone can check me on this, there's been elections in the past where the election was so lopsided one way that there just weren't enough absentee ballots to turn it, and they didn't didn't even open the absentee ballots. I didn't know that. So, you know, okay. Yeah, somebody you know won by twenty thousand votes, and there were ten thousand absentee ballots, and it's like, you know, what's the point? We can't, the, they can't catch up. So now you look at twenty twenty with that system in place, and Michigan, like many states, said, you know, we really want to encourage absentee voting because of the concerns around COVID and people may not want to go to the polls. So, you know, please get your absentee ballot and we're going to have to process a lot of ballots. So get it in early. I think the Democrats did a really good job in getting that message out and in encouraging people to vote early. And of course, there were suspicions like vote early before Joe Biden comes out of his basement. But, you know, <laughs> again, there's two sides to everything. So, Brian, one other thing I want to say about the vote in Michigan, where it made sense to me, is that in 2016, Donald Trump won the election in Michigan by about 10,000 votes. And there were 75 to 80,000 votes that came in showing all Democrats down ballot, but leaving the presidency open. People just didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. And so in 2020, um, I have not yet heard about the presidential vote being left open, but you know, presume that those voters came home to the Democrats. Uh, that gives you over half of the margin in Michigan right there. So I, I think it's a, a a good vote, at least in Michigan. Well, you've always said on the Common Bridge, Rich, on several occasions that you're a huge proponent of voting. Get as many people to vote as possible. And you've always said that's a good thing. Absolutely. Put a pin in that because I'm going to, when I finish this, I'm going to, I want to talk about sure. that. All right. So, so here you are now in Michigan, where now a large part of the election was around absentee ballots and the president telling his base and his Republicans, hey, don't vote absentee, come to the polls. So it makes sense to me that Michigan voters went to the polls, the returns came in from the in-person voting. Naturally, the Republicans and President Trump were going to have more of that vote. And now, according to Michigan law, the polls closed, the absentee ballots are opened. The president discouraged his supporters from voting that way. The Democrats encouraged it. And here we go. Now it's a, the absentee ballots are what put President-elect Biden over the top. 
And look, I've said this, Brian, I know on the common bridge, if we get more and more people invested in support of our political system by voting, it means that we can hopefully be in dialogue versus in street protests and violence. And if there's anything politicians pay attention to, it's voting. And it would make the political parties more interested in delivering policies that everybody can support. And in terms of delivering a clean vote, the obvious answer is it's going to have to use technology. And look, if Bitcoin can trade trillions of dollars of spending power and do it in a secure way through blockchain, we can certainly do that for voting, that there can be encryption where we know it's Brian Kruger's vote. And whatever device he voted on, we have a picture of Brian and that runs through a facial recognition database. And if we found that Brian went over the line and also voted in Ohio, we're going to catch that. So the answer to me is in participation, auditability, and and we have the technology there. And if anything that politicians live in fear of, it's in fear of the voters. And, and that is, frankly, the way it should be. Well, Rich, what do you think of the process in Georgia? And spell that out for us if you can. Well, first of all, I'm going to preface this by saying I am not an expert in Georgia. Um, but I have observed the electoral politics down there for some time. And make no mistake, Georgia does have a history of voter suppression. Uh, you know, you're supposed to vote at a precinct and you go there on election day, oh, that precinct's been moved 15 miles away and maybe people don't have transportation to get there, road closures mysteriously appearing and such. So I, I think that the Democrats have done a really good job there of getting more participation in the vote. I think that showed up in a very close gubernatorial election in 2018, and it played out further now in the presidential election of 2020. Trump supporters in general, and we're starting to see it right now, are, they're very suspicious of the process as a whole across the country. Do you, I mean, what do you say to that group? They suspect voter fraud. Well, look, I think this boils down to a trust issue. And again, the reason for the common bridge is the political parties and the people in them acting better and the news reporting actually reporting news. So think about this. And let's start with Georgia. If you're a person that supports Donald Trump uh, or the Republicans, you see that there's this big myth that Stacey Abrams won the governorship in Georgia in 2018. That has been revisited, revisited, and recounted. It's not true. You may mention about the Democrats didn't accept Donald Trump's win in 2016. You hear uh, leading Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, still saying, well, you got Russian collusion. And what amazes me is the willful ignoring of obvious FBI abuses. Mm -hmm. And that if I'm a Republican or a Trump supporter, and I'm watching the same people that went, oh, Russiagate, Russiagate, Never mind the FBI's horrible abuses. 
and I watched this impeachment trial where if there is a whistleblower, which I highly doubt, was presented with no firsthand information, right down the line, you've got to say, you know what? I can't get reports about the wage rising across the board, especially with minorities. I hear our president continually referred to as a racist and a bigot, although every major news outlet on the planet just about has said that he has denounced bigoted organizations and so forth. And indeed, President Trump did really well with Hispanics. He did really well with a bigger percentage of the black vote. He got 26% of the non-white vote, which is the highest for a Republican since 1960. And it appears that 23 Republican women were voted into the House this year, and I think 13 of those were non-incumbents. And I think six of the eight seats that were turned over were Republican women. And guess where Donald Trump lost support? White men. In any case, though, it would be natural to suspect that the same reporting organizations that won't give the president credit for things that have gone well and have you know, beat the drum on these scandals that have gone no place over and over again. And now that's the same people that are doing that reporting are now coming in and saying, oh, uh, President Trump lost the election. Well, it's kind of natural that, that they would feel that way. So what do you think Trump's play is here? Does he go away? I mean, he could technically run for office again in 2024. Uh, what do you think he what do you think he does here what, what's his play <laughs> not not that <laughs> um, so um, look the the construct that I've looked at uh, Donald Trump since the 2016 primaries is this he's not qualified to be the president of the United States either not interested or incapable of learning how to be the president of the United States and massive personal issues. And I'm going to go to the first presidential debate. And part of the job of the president of the United States is to prepare yourself for the the debate and conduct yourself like a president during the debate. I, I think if there was a single time that Donald Trump lost the election, it was there. I said it when we recapped the first presidential debate. But I think he really hammered home for people we've just had enough of this kind of behavior, period. And I don't think he ever recovered from that. So part of the job of the president of the United States is the dignified and peaceful transfer of power. And right now, this president is doing everything but a dignified and peaceful exit. I I tell you what, The logical part of me is astonished that anybody could behave like this. But on the other hand, kind of par for the course. And this notion of just tweeting out massive allegations and, you know, stirring people up. I don't understand what the end game is, quite frankly. And again, I I don't think the election was stolen from it. And if he thinks it is, he ought to make the case in a a calm and dignified way and say, these are the processes that we're going to go through to to, to prove that we have had this election turn against us. 
Rich, I want to take you back to an earlier episode, way back in season one of The Common Bridge, and you had mentioned the impact that the 2016 election had on both parties. Uh, You had mentioned that Trump winning that election fundamentally changed the Republican Party, and I think that's come to fruition. And you also said Hillary Clinton losing that election fundamentally changed the Democratic Party. Um, Do you want to elaborate on that now in 2020 or just after the 2020 election? Look, look, Brian, in 2016, uh, I said the only good thing about Donald Trump winning the uh, nomination was it would uh, disrupt the establishment of the Republican Party. And there's absolute clarity that that occurred and that the only good thing about him winning the general election, that it would blow up the establishment of the Democrats. So you, now you have the primary where Trump blows up the Republican establishment. You have the general election where Trump disrupts now the Democrats. And now we're back in four years and the Democrats put up the most establishment candidate. And I think running a very smart campaign to say, you know, let's try to run uh, something that looks a little more normal. I think where Joe Biden's going to have his hands full are less so with the Republicans and more so with the left wing of his party, who's already started, hey, you owe us for the job you're in today. And I think if Joe Biden is the great president that he could be, this is where he begins to exercise all the relationships that he has in the Senate and with the agencies. And he steps forward to really begin to bring people together and resist that I won, therefore I can be divisive mentality, you know, that frankly started with the 2008 election. It certainly makes the midterms coming up. We just finished an election, but 2022 becomes very interesting if the left does lean hard on Joe Biden and if there's acceptance in the country or as if there's a a pushback from that, that that ought to be interesting to see. Well, midterm elections generally go against the incumbent president. And what I am cheered by as a forever optimist is that many of the congressional reps that came in 2018 midterms are now in their second term. And they are beginning to find their way around. And they are moderates who can work both sides. And with that group strengthened and the Republicans bringing in a more moderate group, perhaps there's a chance that we do get to the middle. Now, there's some debris that needs to be cleaned up. And I think both Donald Trump and Joe Biden can contribute to cleaning up the debris. In the case of Joe Biden, uh, Joe needs to look at the Senate Judiciary Committee testimony. He needs to see what Attorney General Barr has discovered. And he needs to make a commitment to the American people that he is going to get to the bottom of any abuses of any intelligence agency or any law enforcement agency, no matter which side of the political spectrum they might be on. And the other thing I would say is this, if I'm Trump, I say for four years, you've made accusations about me being involved with a foreign power to influence my decision making, 
You said you did that for my election. You've raised innuendo and rumor about the Southern District of New York having criminal charges. If I'm Trump, I say, look, bring it on, file every indictment you can muster, and let's get people under oath. Let's get them on C-SPAN. Let the American people see it. I want to see George Papadopoulos raising his right hand. I want to see an immunized George Papadopoulos raising his hand and say, here was my first contact with the FBI. I want our CIA to go find Joseph Mifsud, wherever he is in the world, and have him under oath, immunized, and protected. Because that's the only way we're going to clear the air. Otherwise, if Biden doesn't deal with the FBI abuses, that's going to be out there like a burr under the saddle of democracy for a long time. And the rumor and innuendo that, oh, Trump ought to be in prison, if only, I'm saying, you know what? Let's take away the if only. Let's have the trial. Let's let everyone make a charge that's got one, and we'll see where this really goes. And that includes the so-called obstruction charges that Mueller picked up along the way. And, and watch how quiet the left has gone on the attacks on Michael Flynn and the aspersions that they make in the media about obstruction and the awful things they say about William Barr. Let's get it out under oath on TV and let's have at it. I know that's not a popular view, but that's what I would do. So, Rich, before we put a bow on the end of this election season, is there anything else that you'd like to cover, or anything else you'd like to talk about? Yeah, um, where I want to put a topper on it is that we are a great country filled with compassionate and generous people. We have had one political side try to portray the others as Neanderthals, racists, bigots, Nazis, fascists, and so forth. And we've had their opponents portray them as socialist, Marxist, and those people that would take us into a Venezuelan-style dystopia. I got news for you. I've been in all 50 states. I've done business in all 50 states. I've hitchhiked this country a couple of times as a young man. That's not who we are. We are good people. We have way more in common with each other than we do in what divides us. And if we can get this back to policy decisions and ask the people we hire to deal with policy, then we're going to have a better country. And it's going to take everybody's discipline to not fall into the trap of taking their social media feeds and running with half stories and half truths. And Brian, I want to kind of close with one example. I'd like to ask everyone to fight against this kind of reporting where outlet A says, according to a, an unnamed source or according to somebody close or according to a senior advisor that they never name, thus and so happened or might happen, which you already see. Then what happens is reporting outlet B seizes that and says, well, according to a report in outlet A, this person did something or might do something. And then it gets around the internet in lightning speed. And it was all started with rank speculation. 
And if you want to look at some of the questions about the voting integrity, they all started that way. It all started with a rumor and it went around the world. Remember, 67 counties were all using the same software. We now know that one county in northern Michigan didn't download a template. That is a very small part of the news coverage, and we've already got people riled up. So what what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Anyway, I'm looking forward to getting back into policy because that's where the common bridge started, and that's, I think, where our main strength is, although this election season has been a blast. But I am looking forward to getting back into policy. We have some great guests coming up and some great topics. And I want to thank my guests and my listeners for the support of the Common Bridge. Going to be doing this for a while and having, a, having fun with it, frankly, and learning a lot. And it's, con- it's confirming what a great country we are with great people. Well, thanks a lot, Rich. And we'll see you next time on the Common Bridge. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast. Recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.